You're listening to Utah Lake Facts, Fiction, and Fun. Hello, and welcome back to the Utah Lake Facts, Fiction, and Fun podcast. This is Sam Brager, the podcast host and outreach coordinator for the Utah Lake Commission. And we have here with us today Clayton Wolf. And Clayton is a resident of Utah County. He actually lives, or I should say he has the privilege, in my opinion, of living right on the Utah Lake shoreline in Vineyard. Clayton was willing to come on with us and talk a little bit about what it's like to live along the shoreline and spend so much time at Utah Lake because, you know, I grew up in Utah County. Not everybody wants to do that. Uh, and so we'd love to hear from Clayton's perspective about that. So Clayton, thanks for coming on. Why don't you uh, tell everybody a little bit about yourself? All right. Uh, yeah, Clayton Wolf, I grew up in Oregon. So I came down here to go to UVU for college. And I immediately, my first year in college, I found the, uh, I don't know, we called it Bum, Bum Beach. I guess it's the Vineyard Beach uh, at the time. You could actually drive your car down there. And we used to throw bonfires and come down and just have a great time back in, man, 2003, 2004, when nothing, when Vineyard wasn't even, wasn't nothing but a couple of houses back then. And uh, coming from Oregon, I, I fell in love with the lake. It was beautiful. Um, and so I've been coming down here for 15, 16 years. And then in college, I ended up buying a boat and ended up uh, out on the lake wakeboarding for years with uh, with friends, four or five nights a week. And, and from, from then on. So the, I can tell you the whole story of uh, how I ended up here on the lake. It's actually kind of a, a story of tenacity. Well, um, please go ahead. Well, back in college, 2006, I was at UVU, and I was coming down to the lake, and I noticed that there was a development that happened, which is now called the Shores. It was some lakefront lots that were being developed, and that was prior to anything in Vineyard. So no, nothing was built out in Vineyard. They had bought this piece of land around the shore lake, and it was right at the height of the market back then. And so I called the real estate agent, and I was I was in college. I was a college kid, and asked him how much a lot was. And he said, well, they're about $360,000 starting and going up from there. Whoa. And I thought, I thought I had never even made that much money in my entire life combined of my 26 years. <laughs> so I was actually a little saddened because I was like, I am not going to be able to live on this lake because these are going to sell out and I won't be able to. Well, as we know, about a year later, the Great Recession happened, and none of the lots actually sold. The entire development of 60 lots uh, went belly up, and the city actually blocked off the road for two years because it it just kind of went stagnant. And then a builder in 2010 um, bought them from the bank, um, I assume at a much lower price, and started building his, uh, his homes here. So I actually called him in 2010, um, 2011. And he said, uh, yeah, you can build one of my houses. And I thought, well, no, I want to, if I'm going to build on the lake, I want a lake front, like deck, windows, everything. And he just had kind of his standards built, but he had pretty much bought the whole neighborhood. He said, but there was four lots at the end that a friend of his bought. And so I looked those up online and found the owner and he had about 10 properties in Utah. So I went to every single property and left a note and said, Hey, I'm looking want to buy your your lot down there so one of those was his house and he called me back and uh said no me and my brothers actually bought them all we're all gonna build down there so i was kind of bummed again because an investor actually would have had a you know price it would have sold that but a family guy was like now nah, you know 
it's much more difficult to buy there. So at that time, I was actually moving out to Indianapolis. So I moved out to Indianapolis for three years. But every six months, I'd come back to visit Utah, um, do my ties here. And I'd come down to these lots and visit them and hang out um, and really just spend time on this actual lot down here at the end of the end of the neighborhood. And every time I came back, I noticed no houses were being built. And so I'd call that guy back up and say, Hey man, nobody's building. You want to sell me a lot? He's like, no, no, we're just, you know, we're, we're working on it. We're sitting on it. So I did that from 2011 till 2015. So about four years, I called this guy and pestered him. And, uh, and I kind of was, was kind of giving up. I just figured, you know, he would, he'd build it sometime, but I was looking for a house. I moved back to India to Utah from Indianapolis in 2014, 15 and was looking for a house to pick up um, and buy. And so I was like, well, I'll just call this guy again, this guy from the lot. Just, I still had his number and I called him and he said, you know what? We just decided last week to sell out that we've got a lot of increase in value and we've had some changes in the family and we don't want to actually build down there now. And I said, amazing. I will show up tomorrow and I will pay you full price and, and lock it under contract. So he said, okay. So I showed up, we signed a contract for six months. I was self-employed. And so I had to be able to qualify for the lot. Anyway, six months went by of me trying to work on this loan and I was denied from the bank. And uh, so I went back and said, our six months is up. I need to get another year's taxes. Will you allow me to extend this contract six more months? And he said, I have no idea why. I just feel that you really want this. And so I'm going to extend six more months. So he kept it under contract with me for an entire year. And on the last day of that year, I was able to close that this lot loan um, with the bank finally. And, uh, and it was amazing and excited. And that was 2000, um, for starting in 2016. And then it took about a year to do the custom plans, um, with some issues and then submitted those plans to 17 in the city. Then I had some city issues with just some of my plans. So I'd work through those and then finally got a builder and through 2017 and 18 built it. So it took about a year. So finally moved in 2018. So it was about a 12 year journey from the time I came down here and said, I want to live there of just, staying on top of it, calling people, visiting. I, I had probably came down to this lot. My house sits on about a hundred times and uh, just to visit, to sit. Um, I actually went on a date in 2010 and came to, to this lot and we sat here and we drove and we wrote, uh, or sorry, we, um, we drew out what house would you put here if we lived here? And this was five years before I bought it. And I found that drawing the other day in my file cabinet that was just the other day. So this, this filing cabinet, I mean, this drawing has been in there for, for 10 years and I totally forgot about it. And I pulled it out and it, it's not exact, but it's like, it looks, has a pretty similar look to my house here 10 years later from when I sat and I actually drew on that land. So it's kind of cool the you know, just the lessons of law of attraction of tenacity of belief that if you want something bad enough that, uh, and you work for it hard enough that, things transpire a lot of times to help you with that, to achieve your goals. That is so crazy. <laughs> that is like, I'm, I'm, I'm almost speechless. I'm not sure what to say. That's a really amazing story. Um, it probably begs the question. Some listeners might be wondering why on earth you would want to live by Utah Lake. What would you say to them? My opinion, I'm not from Utah. I think Utah Lake is the most underrated resource in the state. Um, 
I also think, and no offense to Utahns, that um, they kind of have um, water snobbery. Um, okay. You've got one of the most blessed bodies of water, Lake Powell, in the entire nation is right here, and that's what we are accustomed to. But when you leave Utah, California, Oregon, Florida, Texas, the water, the lakes, the rivers, they're all pretty gnarly and pretty nasty and pretty polluted and pretty muddy, much more so than Utah Lake. So the comparison of people who grew up here sees Utah Lake as mucky, smelly, gross, because they are used to this amazing, like, top, one of the best lakes in the entire, like, country like Powell, but compared to the rest of the country, Utah Lake is pretty, it's pretty average. It's pretty normal. It's, it's Utah Lake would not be considered gross, mucky or polluted in most of the other States in America. One of the, the cleanup projects we did with vineyard city along the shoreline um, was a service project for earth day. And uh, as I was helping with the coordination there, um, one of the volunteers, I guess it was a couple sister uh, LDS missionaries were there and I don't know how, I remember how it came up. I, I think they just asked like who I was because they could tell I was helping with coordination and I explained my job and she's like, well, what do you mean? And she's like, well, you know, a lot of what I have to do is help people understand some of the misperceptions about Utah Lake. She's like, what are you talking about? And so as the, the product, the conversation progressed, she's like, well, I'm from Florida and this lake is gorgeous compared to anything that's anywhere near my home. And I was like, right. really? I had no, because I mean, I grew up in Utah County, right? I'm one of those people that, like you say, you've, we've been a little bit maybe spoiled with the water bodies that we have. And so it was really interesting to hear her perspective coming from out of state and saying, you know, it's amazing that you have this lake and this resource right here. And it is so much nicer than anything else back home. Yep. And so right there, second opinion of an out of stater. It's like, yeah, Florida's waters, they're brown. Like they are mucky brown. And people are in them every day. Plus, they have alligators. We don't even have we don't have alligators. We don't have snakes. <laughs> no piranhas. <laughs> you don't have to worry and, about any uh, of that, thankfully. So yeah, so I I think, uh, but the perception is also. This is my opinion. I'm 40. Um, been been going to Utah Lake since I was 23. All my friends. If you look at the history of the lake, you know, 120 years ago, it was pristine. It was clear. It was, it was trout. Um, over the years, it's been polluted and some decisions made through the 20s and 40s with the Geneva Steel and other things that have kind of polluted it. And they, you know, imported carp, carp back in 100 years ago, which is, you know, how helped it go downhill. And so what we have is a generation of our parents of our, you know, that are in their 50s, 60s, 70s that grew up in the 40s and 50s here in Utah County when Utah Lake was kind of at its worst. And so they they had kids and the kids now are my age that now are buying boats and having families. And but they they were taught all my friends in their 30s and 40s were taught Utah Lake is gross. We don't go there because of 1940 and 1950. Well, now it's been 60, 70 years since then. And, and the lake has, you know, changed quite a bit and it has had a you know things to make it a much better body of water. Um, but the perception is there. I, I take people out um, every, almost every time I go out, I get somebody who's lived in Utah County their whole life and never been to Utah Lake. And they're like, yeah, I, you know, I just, I just wanted to come boating and I don't, I don't think I'll get in the water. And they come out there and we get in the middle of the lake and they're like, wait a minute, this is incredible. This water is fine. It's, it's warm. It's nice. It's, you know, we're great surfing and it's huge. This lake is massive. I didn't know it even existed yet. I've lived in, Utah County my entire life. And so I think a lot of it's just perspective that people, you know, they, they were just told while they were younger due to that, you know, the generation 
that it was kind of gross. Um, the, the most common things I get is it smells. Aren't the mosquitoes just horrible all year? And, uh, and it's, you know, super mucky and muddy. And number one, um, it doesn't smell. I, I live on the shoreline. The only thing that smells is the linen up station and you have to be around there to smell it. Other than that, I've never really noticed this lake having a smell. In fact, it has enough wind blowing it through constantly and enough, the water's turning enough that it has fresh air. Constantly. I, mean, I actually enjoy sitting on my deck and, and letting the, the, the wind from the lake just blow through my house because I think it's a nice, fresh lake smell. Number two, the mosquitoes. The state has done an amazing job in abating those. Um, I probably get two or three bites an entire year. Um, if I go out of state, I get you know crazy bit, so I actually get bit less. The thing that is a problem is the gnats, um, which are just an annoying bug that fly up in huge drones. Those darn um, midge flies. Midges. <laughs> And then they come out, but they, I don't notice them too much. It's about sunset. They come out in drones um, and they stick to my house. And then in the morning they're dead. They just drop dead and in piles. And that's about four months a year. So it's that like May till September or something, but the other eight months, not a bug in sight. It is so nice. In fact, I almost like, you know, the winter just as much because the winters don't have the wind and no bugs and the, and the sunsets are gorgeous. You have these calm waters, no bugs, no smell, uh, and just the most amazing, gorgeous sunsets you've ever seen. So, you know, a lot of the misperceptions, you know, like you get mosquitoes everywhere. You get mosquitoes down in St. George. You get mosquitoes, you know. I mean, I went to Alaska. The mosquitoes are humongous, and they're way worse <laughs> than here. You know, like there's mosquitoes everywhere, and they're really not too bad here. Um, and so I think some of the misperceptions are just that. They're, they're more of a misperception instead of a reality. Well, thanks for sharing, Clay. I really appreciate that. It's kind of a, a good description for listeners, for someone who lives literally with their backyard to the lake, um, which is something not many people can say. So it's really good to hear your perspective on that. And I know that you've mentioned that in the past that you do a variety uh, of types of recreation at the lake, right? Tell us more about that. So I'm a huge boater. I bought a boat when I built my house. I actually built a boat garage and I didn't have a boat at the time, but I knew if I'm going to live on the lake... I want a boat garage because my, my boat's going to be there. So I'm huge into wakeboarding and wake surfing, obviously tubing. So I love to spend time on the lake in the summer. I probably am out there five nights a week. Um, I go almost every night and then, you know, I, I take one night off and go all day Saturday. That's pretty common <laughs> week for me. Um, I have a ton of friends and I got families and kids and, you know, everybody wants to go out. And so I, I take out hundreds of people on my boat throughout the summer. And I just, I just enjoy being out there, love being out there. Um, like I said, my guard, I measured it once. I'm about 200 feet from the back of the house to the waterline. And so I've got paddle boards and kayaks. And so we can literally just walk out the back door and just drag them down and be on the water and, and paddleboard and kayak around. Um, in May and June, the catfish are coming in to spawn. And so you can hike out in the water about waist deep. And it's, you know, the water's in the 70s. And you just stand there waist deep and we just put a hot dog on a hook and you just throw it out there and we'll catch six pound catfish and bring them right back to the house and have a, a catfish fry. Um, so that's, that's fun to do, especially with kids and stuff to catch. I mean, cause the, the catfish are huge and, and when they're in those months, they're, they're fairly easy to catch. Um, and then in the winter, not just a, a summer thing in the winter, this, this winter, in fact, December, and January, the lake was almost froze over for almost two months straight. 
And so we went down there. I took some friends ice skating down there. Um, we went down there on New Year's and, uh, we actually put a, <laughs> we actually had a little campfire on the ice, um, and lit some fireworks off. And, uh, and it was just super cool to be out there on the lake. We could kind of see the valley and see the fireworks. Um, I, uh, did a, there's just a ton to do out on the ice. And then when the ice breaks up, it creates these huge ice mounds with the chunks, um, which are just amazing to look at, to climb around on. They look just like a little mound from afar. You get closer and they're 10 feet tall with, with chunks that are four feet by six inches thick. It's, it's a pretty amazing sight. And that was fairly popular in the last month. I sat here from my living room and just saw, there's tons of people out there climbing on them all day long. Um, there's a lot of bird walking. One time last year, I saw 14 bald eagles on the ice, just kind of looking at, looking for fish. I don't know what, in the winter, the bald eagles come out and they'll just sit on the ice. And they're massive birds, so you can see them from, from way. So I've got some binoculars. I'll just sit and kind of watch birds and, and look out there. So I'm just always taking video and, you know, we're always doing something out there, making videos and taking photos and sunset photos. And, and so there's, it just seems like there's never a bun abundance of uh things to do i haven't yet but they do uh duck and geese hunting as well so i'll wake up and i think it's november mm-hmm. at like six in the morning to uh to shotguns going off like a thousand feet from my house but because it's a it's state land which is fine um because there's, there's birds out there all the time so it's, it's a great spot for duck hunting too and speaking of the the various things you've done and, and captured on video, one reason why we uh, brought you on the podcast now is you you posted just a couple, I think it was two weekends ago now, uh, a video of you guys breaking the ice in order to go out wakeboarding. And this is like what, like February 4th, I think it was? Second, yeah. The second of February. So, I mean, it, it looked like you guys really had to work to get through that ice. So I'd love to hear that story. So I like my goal is to go wakeboarding once a month for all year. And so I leave my boat in the garage and I put a heater in there. And so it's never winterized. And then I just wait and, and pay attention to the weather. So anytime the, the, the weather gets above 40 in the winter and it has sunny days with no wind and it's like a glassy water, I'll, I've got a crew of four to eight wakeboarders who will jump on board with me anytime. We'll go out and wakeboard if, it, if it's classy. So February 2nd, um, the lake had, had thawed, so there wasn't any ice out there. The mounds were still on the edge. And so I thought, you know, it was supposed to be, I think 55 degrees that day, just super warm after it's been frozen for so long. So we get everybody ready. We go down to the Marina, but the Marina, because it had been, you know, I think it still was under 32 degrees at night. Um, the Marina actually was still all ice. Um, even though the lake was complete glass and it was a nice day. So we got down there and we stood there and we were kind of bummed because it was like, dang it, it is gorgeous today. I mean, you could just see the sun is like high and it's just, you know, not obviously not a single other boat out there and there's just no wind. So it's just this mirror of a lake and it's, you never get that in the summer. There's always boats and it's always windy in the summer. So in the winter you get this perfect mirror. And so somebody cracked a joke like, well, get, get out your icebreaker. And somebody else was like, yeah, just start breaking the ice, you know, kind of joking around. And next thing we know, we're grabbing a canoe um, and grabbing a couple of logs that we found on the, on the shoreline. And we put it in the water and we started breaking this ice. It was about two inches thick. So it wasn't, I mean, if you walked on it, it 
probably would have started cracking and falling in for sure. Um, and so, so it wasn't like it was six inches thick, but it was, it was a solid two inches. And so we, three or four of us started beating this ice and making this route. And it was a few hundred yards through this marina. And at the edge of the marina, it had, it kind of was the fall line where it became water again. So it was two or 300 yards of ice that we had to beat with sticks. And it took us almost two hours oh, to uh, <laughs> create that trail to get out there. And so, cause we had to break all the way out and then turn around, come back and make kind of another lane. So the boat, it was wide enough for the boat. And, uh, so I got out there with the boat and kind of towards the end, it, it got a little skinny and it was, it was pretty squeezed on my, on my vessel. Wakeboarding boats are not known for their ice breaking. You know, they're fiberglass. They've got paint jobs and decals. So I may or may not have got a little scratch or two when it got a little too skinny, but, um, once we, but you know, we made it through, broke the ice and, uh, people were kind of looking at us dumbfounded as to what we were doing. Um, <laughs> but kudos to man, my, my wakeboarding friends are, man, they are as hardcore and on the ball as you can get, you know, most, most fair weather friends are like, now nah, I'm, I'm going home. There's ice. These guys, not one, they were all like gung ho. They're like, let's do it. The water's gorgeous. We're, we are in. And, uh, and so we all, they all helped out and we all kept breaking and, and we made it out there and then had an epic ride. Like everybody had a really phenomenal ride. You know, these guys can do tricks and flips and, and whatever else. And it was just, it was gorgeous. The water was about 37 in the water. Um, Ooh, that's so we nippy. Have full, like, yeah, so we have full white wet dry suits and any piece of skin that's not being covered. Um, you know, if you're out there for a 15, 20 minute ride, will get partially uh, frostbite. Um, so we've got like neoprene gloves, full body suit, you know, you put them in the wakeboard boots, but man, when you take your feet out, they are pretty white because they've been sitting in that water. It's, it's frigid, but, but uh, yeah, it was a great experience. It's a great story. And uh, yeah, it was fun to do. That's awesome, man. So last summer, um, one of my best friends for 15 years, was uh, he lives in my house here. I've got a couple of roommates, and he was in Alaska, and he flew back for the week to uh, get some stuff done and hang out with his girlfriend, um, and they had been dating a year and a half or so. And he said, hey, Clayton, I'm flying back at like 10 in the morning back to Alaska, but I want to propose to my girlfriend tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. before I fly out. And so he said, and I really want to do it out on Utah Lake. I think that'd be very cool. She's been down here to the house a bunch, and I've obviously been down here a bunch. And I said, man, I am in. I would love the Utah Lake proposal. And so um, one of the roommates at 530 in the morning, he went and, and kidnapped her and put, you know, blindfold over her. Um, I hooked up the boat to take it to the marina, and my buddy, who was proposing, he got on a paddleboard and went out in the middle of the lake for us to go meet him. And so he starts paddling into the into the middle of the lake. So I get down there. I get the boat in the water. My buddy shows up with her. We throw in the boat. She's blindfolded. We get out there. We put on some cheesy 80s music, love songs, and we go cruising out there. And I couldn't find my buddy. Um and so we're kind of driving around and I just kind of went all the way down to where my house was. And I figured, well, he's got to be around, you know, behind the, the house back there somewhere. So I get back and I'm looking around and all of a sudden the engine just dies. And I immediately just sat there for a minute and I thought, oh, I took it out a week ago and it was bone dry when I brought it back. 
and I totally forgot the gas. And I looked, and it was zero percent. Oh. I had run out of gas. So here we are. I've got my roommate, my roommate's girlfriend, my daughter, my nephew, and my best friend's fia- soon-to-be fiance. And my best friend is somewhere out in the middle of Utah Lake, and I cannot see him. And he's on a paddleboard at six in the morning. <laughs> And so luckily, luckily he put his phone in a bag in his pocket because he was going out that far. And so I called him and I said, Hey man, we're out of gas. And he's like, no dude, that's a funny joke because I tend to joke a lot. He's like, no, this time it's, it's not a joke. And so here we are floating in the water. He's somewhere else floating on a paddleboard. He's like, I was like, all right, I'm behind the house somewhere, man. I can't see you. I have no idea where you even are. And he's like, I think I see the boat. So he was about two miles away from us, um, both like floating out in the middle of the lake at six in the morning. So he's like, all right, I'll start paddling back. So I threw <laughs> anchor so I wasn't moving anywhere. And he starts paddling. So I get on my phone and I started calling all my neighbors at six in the morning. <laughs> and I found a neighbor who was just waking up. And he's like, hello. And I was like, man, do you have a paddleboard? He's like, yeah. I'm like, do you happen to have five gallons of regular gas? He's like, I do. And I was like, how would you like to paddleboard (laughs) gas out in the middle of the lake? And he's like, oh, man. All right. Let me get up. (laughs) So my neighbor, who is a saint, got five gallons of gas, his paddleboard, six in the morning, shoved out from the shore. And maybe just barely saw us out there a mile away and paddled out to bring gas to us. At the same time, while my buddy is paddling two miles from the middle lake back to the boat to find us, all while his fiance is sitting in the back of the boat, blindfolded, <laughs> having no idea what's going on, but just jamming out to like 80s TV music with a big smile on her face. Oh, it was so amazing. So he gets... He finally, it took like 30 minutes for all everybody to converge. Um, my roommate got there, pulled the blindfold off. She hopped on the paddleboard. They go floating out. And, uh, and the funny thing is we actually had a little like, uh, spiff plan. So he actually brought two rings, a fake one and the real one. So the plan was he pulls out the fake one, acts like it slips, falls into the water. He dives off the paddleboard swims to the bottom, comes back up with it and says, I found it. So he does that. Um, but the, you know, the whole gassing was not part of that plan. So we kind of had a couple little like oopsie daisies. So, so he does, he drops this ring and swims down and she's floating on the paddleboard. Like, Oh my gosh. <laughs> like, uh, what, what just happened? So he comes back up, puts it on. And what was amazing is because we waited that 30 minutes, the sun rise, came up behind the mountains directly behind them and made for some epic uh, photography and video of them out there floating together with the sunrise and the mountains in the background. And it turned out gorgeous. So he ended up missing his flight and they just spent the day together. Um, and she said, yes. And then uh, they were married about two months later. And even though I totally pulled the blunder and almost ruined the, the, uh, the, engagement they actually asked me to officiate their wedding and so i was their officiator and married those two um even after that utah like blunder 
that's pretty forgiving of them. You, you can tell they still trust you as a friend to, to allow that after that blunder. <laughs> yeah. Well, Clayton, we really appreciate you coming on to kind of chat about life along the lake. Uh, is there uh, anything else you'd share with, with people who are, are curious about what it's like to live there or, or maybe are, are doubting whether it's worth coming down to visit in the lake? First off, don't come down. It's no good. I enjoy getting out there by myself and having 100,000 acres of water to myself. <laughs> don't bring more people. If I talk positively, it's going to be more busy and I'm going to have to be fighting the water with. But it's a gorgeous lake. Every single person I've taken down there for the first time has like a 180. They're just like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. This is cool. This is like, it doesn't smell. It's not bad. It's, this is a great time. And so if you haven't been there for 10 years, 20 years, or never been, just go try it out um, because you will be pleasantly surprised. And also, once you get out there, you have no idea how big the lake is. It's massive. It is The lake area is bigger than the Utah County area next to it. You know, from the mountain to the, to the lake, Pleasant Grove, Orem, Provo is tiny compared to the size of the lake. And so you've just got this massive body of water that has so much space. And it is, the one thing is it is shallow, um, which helps it stay warmer in the summer. And uh, the good thing about that, though, because of the lake, it doesn't change in elevation. Um, and so if you're in four feet of water, it pretty much stays that for quite some time. There's no big rocks. There's no ledges like Lake Powell. You hit, you know, there's tons of stuff underwater. People wreck their props on where Utah Lake is, is fairly, if it's five feet, it can stay that for a, uh, you know, a mile or two. So it's just a nice smooth bottom that doesn't change. It's really shallow slope. And I've got, you know, out in the middle, I can wake surf and get a good wake surf. You know, in four or five feet of water, we can get a really good wakeboard wake. And uh, and so for whatever entertainment there is, it's, it's a great time. If you heard something you liked in this episode, please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review. While you're at it, take a second and share this episode with someone else you think would like it. Help us spread the word about the facts, fiction, and fun of Utah Lake. You've been listening to Utah Lake, facts, fiction, and fun. For more information and resources, visit utahlakecommission.org forward slash podcast. Thanks for listening.